Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Hey, everybody. It's David Cohen here on Give First. Really excited to have Kevin Barenblatt join us from Fast Forward. How's it going, Kevin? Good, David. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this because I've been following what you've been doing for a while. It's a familiar model for those that know Techstars, but really aimed at the nonprofit world. So for those listening that may not know Fast Forward, tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Oh, gosh. You know, I'm from Texas originally, and I moved out to California. I'm in San Francisco now. I moved out here a long time ago to go to Stanford to study engineering. At that time, I really felt like technology was going to help us solve problems. And when I graduated, I took a number of jobs mostly different tech startups, and eventually started a startup. That company pivoted a couple times. And when we eventually exited the business, we were a social marketing software company. I never grew up wanting to be an ad optimizer. (laughs) And so when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, I returned a little bit to my roots. I was really hoping to find a way where I could think about how technology could be used to solve not just business problems, but social problems. And that's what led to Fast Forward. So is it fair to describe it as almost an accelerator for nonprofits? You've worked with like 60 or so already, if I'm not mistaken. We have, yeah. We've worked with about 60 nonprofits over the last seven years, and we were absolutely tech stars, basically, for nonprofits. I remember when I first had the idea for Fast Forward, it was just a couple of things coming together for me. One is, I knew Sal Khan, we had gone to graduate school together, and I was so impressed with how he was educating and helping educate millions of students a month for the cost of a small elementary school, leveraging technology as a way to reach more people. Yet he, even as Bill Gates' favorite teacher, had a hard time finding resources. He's working out of his closet. He hadn't raised any money. And his wife had really only given him a year to work on it before she wanted him to go back to get a real job. And it wasn't until that year was almost done where he got his first donations, his first support. And at the same time, I was working at a VC firm and meeting all kinds of entrepreneurs who, by this point, there was this ecosystem that you'd help build for startup entrepreneurs if you were going to be a for-profit. And I even attended a Techstars demo day that you were running with the Nike Accelerator and was so impressed and decided this needed to exist for nonprofits. Wouldn't it be so special if there was a way for these kinds of entrepreneurs to come together, get access to some training and a network, and just like they do for your programs, really bond with each other and get exposure and help launch them on a different kind of trajectory. And it seems like it's working great. What's the model? I think you have mentors that come in and help similar to what we do at Techstars, but in terms of the sustainability of your own effort, how does that work as a model for you? We really did borrow the model of this tech accelerator and apply it to nonprofits. And so our programming, similar, I think, to Techstars and others, 
We do have an educational component. We think about our entrepreneurs, they have all the challenges of tech startups and all the challenges of nonprofits. And so we do a bit of both in our programming. There is a big networking component, which really is what I heard about tech stars when I was looking at the space. It's incredibly valuable. And when I look at our entrepreneurs, of whom almost all of them have personal experience with the problem they set out to solve, they really understand and are passionate about the issue, but may not have access to the networks for money, for product, for technology, for distribution. And so one of the things we really try to do through our program is connect them to a wide variety of people so that when they graduate, if they can't get the answer that they need, at least they know someone who can connect them to someone to get them where they need to go. And another important component of it is this network like you have in in Techstars where they finally meet a group of other people who are as odd as them. I mean, entrepreneurs are are odd people. You're telling me, yeah. (laughs) And like I said, I think like these entrepreneurs have all those challenges plus the ones of a nonprofit where they don't necessarily, they feel like they'll fit into a for-profit tech accelerator. And they also don't really fit into a lot of the nonprofit programs as, you know, a company that's building a tech product. So to have a group of peers that they can rely on and commiserate with and stay in touch with as they grow their organizations has been really valuable. For us, you ask, you know, I think one of the most interesting things for me about transitioning from uh, for-profit to nonprofit has been this idea of like a nonprofit business model and sustainability. Most of the companies I'd worked for, the customer and the user that the product was, was geared for were the same. And in most nonprofits, that's actually different. There's like two, there's the the beneficiary and then the business model. And in many cases, they're not really connected. So in that way, so many like us, like fast forward and many nonprofits we work with are almost more like Facebook or media companies where the, the way they monetize isn't necessarily through their users. And for nonprofits, that's because because they're not solving business problems. They're often working with beneficiaries who don't have the ability to, to pay. So for us, we don't really want to charge our nonprofits. There's no equity for us to take. And instead, we have corporate partners. And those corporate partners work with us to support these organizations that are leveraging tech for good. When it's not COVID, we host our program in their offices. Their employees generously volunteer as mentors, which relates very closely with your podcast around Give First, because they're really interested in leveraging their expertise whether that's in technology or marketing or any area of you know their professional life, it's super valuable for the nonprofits that we work with. So yeah, our business model, even though our mission is focused on supporting tech nonprofit entrepreneurs, uh, we work very closely with tech companies to execute on that mission. And I know there's a lot of interest. I mean, our, our CEO, Mael Gave, wrote a book called Trampled by Unicorns, right? It's, it's about all the things that can go wrong, right? When you use tech. And I think a lot of, uh, these corporations want to support actually having tech do good, right? And so you're giving them a way to get engaged. And I've seen firsthand what you talked about. We've messed around and probably put five or six nonprofits through our own accelerators, kind of auditing. And it, it's, you know, obviously they learn something. But it's just, it's a different animal, as you said. Rather than teaching them how to fundraise from VCs or angels, you're, you're really teaching them more about how to find their own sustainable model or you know how to work into grant programs or things like that. So it's pretty different, I imagine. I think so. I mean, I remember when we were first connected seven years ago over email by one of your alums, Manny from Get Outreach, connected us. And I, and I was like, here's my idea. You were like, you know, this is something that you felt like you weren't really quick to do that you did have nonprofits that were interested in what Techstars had to offer. 
But I think you're right, it's similar, but also just a little different. And so when we see organizations, you know, it's after we emailed that Y Combinator also started taking nonprofits and they've had a couple dozen go through their program as well. And I think it's super valuable for at least our organizations that are building product to go through programs like Techstars and Y Combinator and really any program that gets them access to new networks and more entrepreneurs and that entrepreneurial thinking. Sometimes they feel like these square pegs in a round hole where like there are aspects of it that are super similar, yet they're not raising the kind of money that organizations are coming out of your program, probably in the, the for-profit world. Their path is a little different. And my journey as an entrepreneur is also different than many of theirs. Like they are so passionate about the problem that they set out to solve that they don't pivot like a lot of the for-profit entrepreneurs. I was just listening to one of your more recent podcasts about the Techstars class of 2011 and how those three unicorns all changed the name and two of the top three pivoted. And we don't see that as much because they are really committed to the problem they've set out to solve. And they may change how they get there. It may be that they need to use a mobile app instead of a chatbot or a web app instead of a, some other kinds of intervention. But ultimately, they're so passionate about the beneficiary that that's what their calling is in, in life. And let's stick on that because that's really interesting. And I, you know, I think that Seattle class that you're referring to where two of the three unicorns that, that were from that one class changed totally what they were doing, right? That's actually pretty rare. But what is more typical is what you're talking about, which is they do stay attached to the market mm -hmm. or the problem, right? But they're willing to throw out the solution and find a different route to that. And that's most of the pivoting we see. So I actually imagine that can be pretty similar in the nonprofit world. You've got that problem that you really are trying to solve and how you solve it, you're flexible about, I think. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about mentors in the context of, of your program. You talk about Give First, right? They're jumping in just to be helpful with these nonprofits. You've had 60 of them go through over the years. How many mentors are involved roughly at this point? We've had hundreds of mentors participate. I mean, each year there's over 100 that come through and meet with the entrepreneurs. And the way we've set it up, most of the time they're through pretty quick coffee meetings. It's almost like speed dating. And so we'll have one or two folks meet with the entrepreneurial team at a time. And it's really just a way for them to get an introduction to the organization and to see what kind of fit might exist between them and the different groups. And so each time we get together, the entrepreneurs will meet multiple mentors, the mentors will meet multiple organizations. Because it's really hard, I think, when it comes to philanthropy and people volunteering, there's a part of it that is related to the issue area. Some people really care about education or global health. Some people really want to leverage their professional skills, so whether that's like engineering or product or marketing. And a lot of times, it's just the personalities. I mean, people fall in love with a founder and really want to do anything they can to help. And so we found that as much as we try to predict in advance who's going to click and who's going to be able to provide the most help, there's so much serendipity in how people interact and their personal interactions and all these hidden stories we didn't know about that make people connect about where they're from or challenges they face or people in their family who have faced certain obstacles or diseases. And that's really what connects people with each other. So, And then from there, obviously, people will get involved. They'll meet separately. They'll assist with product, join boards, volunteer, become donors. There's lots of different ways that people can get involved and help the organizations that we work with. I think we talked about that early on when you're getting going, the sort of experience we had had with the few cases early on, we sort of said, well, this will be your mentor, right? <laughs> just, I don't understand programs that work that way, where, you know, based on the data, this is the right mentor for you, because it's so human as an interaction, and people just have different interests, different passions, and that's the thing that really matters, right? And so 
when you think about your mentors, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you on the show is because I got to believe that this ultimate expression of give first, right? Mentoring in the context of nonprofit organizations that are getting going, that those mentors eventually get something out of it too. But maybe you have a few examples or stories along those lines you could share. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, certainly folks are getting something out of it. It's, it's really rewarding to feel like this expertise that we've built up and accumulated over years of working is valuable to someone who's trying to make a difference in the world. And like you said, there's so much serendipity in it that it's hard to predict. I mean, even like the very first summer that we were starting out, we had a mentor come in and talk about impact measurement and how nonprofits can think about measuring their impact, which is super important to funders, particularly institutional funders, and really hard for tech nonprofits because they run into this challenge where many of them, as they're leveraging tech to scale, need to build something. But they can't build something until they get money. But they can't get money until <laughs> until they've proven that they can have an impact so they get stuck. So this guy that I knew, Brad, came in to talk to the group. And turns out they had office space available for sublet. And one of our groups, Medic Mobile, was interested in, in office space. And so they moved in. But actually, that's just the beginning of their story. So then as they were office mates, Brad's organization, Living Goods, was struggling with building out their own technology to do the work they wanted to do, helping deliver better healthcare to people around the world. And that's exactly what Medic Mobile did. And so these two organizations ended up developing a very deep partnership based on the serendipity of Brad coming to mentor groups at Fast Forward in our very first class. And so we see examples of that all the time where I think people being generous with their time and, and expertise ends up you know, being rewarding in unexpected ways. Yeah, I love stories like that that are the sort of virtuous cycle, right? It's not this transaction where they helped and they got something back. It's then then they help the other one again, and then the other one helps the other one again. And they find ways to sort of be symbiotic with each other with the broader network. And I think that's just a really powerful dynamic. So I, I figured it'd be pretty prevalent in what you do. One of the things that we see a lot in our world, and we're really focused on, as is our own nonprofit, the Techstars Foundation, is really around inclusion and, and diversity in tech. Do you find that same challenge with nonprofits, and how are you all approaching it? It's been interesting. I mean, I think in some ways the nonprofit and philanthropy space is not as diverse as I was expecting. But at Fast Forward, we've been lucky. The entrepreneurs that we work with, almost all of them, like 90%, have personal experience with a problem they've settled to solve. And two-thirds of them, the organizations that have come through Accelerator have a co-founder who is a woman. And about 80% of them have a co-founder who's a person of color. So we've seen incredible diversity among the entrepreneurs that, that we work with. It's also been interesting to me to see, and you were early on this at Techstars, but you know that very first year, four out of the five groups that we worked with were in the Bay Area. And ever since then, even the ge geographic diversity of the entrepreneurs that we've had the opportunity to work with has been incredible. And now it's really the opposite. Well, we're lucky if we get one or two entrepreneurs a year who are based in California. And usually they're spread all over the, the country and sometimes the world. Nonprofits leading the broader trend. <laughs> I think <laughs> we're, we're definitely seeing great companies and organizations being started all over the world. Talk a little bit about the 60 companies you've worked with, roughly, the impact of that portfolio at this point. What have they been able to accomplish as a group when you talk about that collective impact? You know, how do you explain that? That's a great question. And we get this question a lot because I think in nonprofits, sometimes it's hard to measure impact, especially in a way that's consistent across organizations. And so we rely primarily on two metrics, follow-on funding and lives impacted. And those almost 60 organizations have impacted almost 90 million lives and raised $275 million in, in follow-on funding, which is an incredible number for us and way more than I think I would have expected when we were starting Fast Forward. 
The other thing that's been interesting is having those as impact metrics. We talk about them, but like we don't actually use them in our own internal evaluation process. I think the reason is that it would be hard for us to take risks and support some of the entrepreneurs we really believe in if those were really the two things we cared most about. So for example, we could increase our impact numbers by taking later stage orgs, organizations that had already proven themselves, as opposed to taking bigger bets on the early stage entrepreneurs who really need the support. And in the same way, I think some of our most technologically advanced groups actually don't always impact people directly. So for example, we had a group of PhD students from Berkeley come to the program a couple of years ago. They started an organization called WattTime that makes it so you can actually tell where the marginal power that you're consuming is coming from in the power grid. Like you can read the power grid and know if you're pulling electric, if you're pulling clean energy like solar or wind, or if you're pulling dirty energy, let's say from coal. And if you've bought a Tesla because you feel like you're making the world a better place and you plug it into the wall and you don't really care when it gets charged, it just needs to get charged over the, the next 16 hours, this software actually can pull the power for you when it's clean. But that's an example of an organization that we, we can't really include in our lives impacted number. Yet it's one of our favorite organizations to come through the, the accelerator program. I bet you there's a few Tesla owners out there nodding their head uh, <laughs> right now. If somebody's listening and they're interested either with their own nonprofit or you know, getting involved as a mentor, how do they become a part of what you're doing? Is that possible? It's easy. Yeah, they can reach out, kevin at ffwd.org, and I'd be delighted to, to chat. I mean, we do more programming now throughout the year. The accelerator itself runs usually in the summer, so it's a July, August, September, into early October program. But we actually do now micro-mentoring and virtual volunteering events throughout the year and partner with tech companies all the time. Great. I have a little segment I, I want to do rapid fire, just quick answers. If you don't have one, feel free to say pass. It's like a game show. But people listening, I like to get them some good, quick information from great minds like yourself. Is there a book you've read that you think entrepreneurs or nonprofit organization founders should definitely check out? I think Lean, Lean Startup or Stephen Blank's The Four Epiphanies book. I remember when I was starting my organization that Stephen Blank had just written his book. It was I ordered it on Amazon, and I think it was printed by them at that time. And it was hugely influential to help us understand about the importance of really understanding your customer. Four Steps to the Epiphany, I think, is a great read. And, and I think, obviously, the work you know Eric Ries built on top of that with Lean Startup and all that. But that's a great one. Yeah, I think Lean Startup and Four Steps to the Epiphany are hugely important in the nonprofit space in particular because people who are working in the space care a lot about the user, that beneficiary. And spending as much time as possible really understanding the needs of that group is super important in delivering the most impact that you can. How about just for you personally, a place in the world that you think everybody who's listening should visit at some point in their life? That's a tough one. Tokyo. I love Japan and Tokyo is a city unlike any other. I've given that answer myself. I love that place. For those listening in Tokyo, invite us out. I'm going to come hang out. Any life hacks you've learned either through the course of the pandemic or you know a new tool you've discovered, something that you think entrepreneurs could benefit from that made your life a little better in the last year or two? My latest life hack is to try to read a book before I go to bed. It's so tempting to do other things, to finish up emails, to try to read the news on my phone. I feel like especially in a year like this where there's constant threats to democracy and protests and a global pandemic raging, it's challenging. But trying to unwind with the book is my latest life hack. Nice. Probably makes you tired too, depending on the book you're reading. Exactly. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, Kevin, I know I speak for everybody when I say thanks for what you're doing in the world. It's a huge give first effort. And I know a lot of the organizations that you've supported are doing amazing work in the world. So thanks for doing it. And thanks for hanging out with us today. Oh, no, thanks so much for having me. Like I said at the beginning, it's Techstars has been a real inspiration for us at Fast Forward, attending one of your early demo days uh, has sparked the idea of Fast Forward. And then our chats in the early days really helped form our programming. So I'm grateful to you and you're giving us first. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.